0: Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus officially began his ministry right after his baptism. At his baptism, he was ordained by God the Father to his ministry, and he was anointed by the Holy Spirit to empower him to his task. Shortly after this time, after his baptism and then his temptation, Uh, The Lord Jesus, he withdrew into the region of Galilee. And it is there that Christ began to preach. And the gospel, according to Matthew, summarizes Christ's message as follows. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. That's the first word we hear recorded from one of Christ's sermons. Repent. Certainly that shows us the importance of repentance to our Lord Jesus Christ and to our God. Now literally the Greek word to repent means to to change your mind. To change your mind about your sin, about your way of thinking. Conform it to God's word. However, as we hope to see this afternoon, in Scripture's teaching of repentance, it also encompasses more than just that. It refers not only to a changed mind, but a, a changed heart, a changed will, and, and a changed life. As we also confess from Lord's Day 33, true repentance or conversion, it's the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new. So I preach you God's word this afternoon with the following theme and points. In true repentance, our old self dies and our new self comes alive. And we, we have three points and I believe the first two points are different than what you have in your liturgy or, or just switched around. First of all, we're going to focus on the challenge of repentance. Uh, second of all, the need for repentance. And third, the beauty of repentance. So uh, first of all, the challenge of repentance is what we're going to be looking at. So before we look into the challenge of repentance or conversion, we should first define uh, what repentance and conversion is. So what is repentance? What is conversion? Sometimes we speak of repentance as as being sorry to God for a specific sin. Sometimes conversion refers to the time when someone first becomes a Christian. And these answers are certainly not wrong. Repentance... And conversion certainly includes those things. However, this afternoon when we talk about repentance or conversion, we're going to be talking about something uh, bigger than just that. We're going to be talking about an entire lifestyle, a way of living. We're going to be talking about a continuous change that happens in a believer's life and throughout his or her life from beginning to end, of our Christian life. As we confess in Lord's Day 33, what is the true repentance or conversion of man? It's the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new. You see, it's this process of being renewed into the image of God as we were created to be. It's a continual turning away from sin and turning back to God. As we read from Joel 2, as God told his people in Joel chapter 2, yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. Return to me with all your heart. This is conversion. This is true repentance. Our old nature, of course, uh, is, is who we are in Adam through the fall into sin. It's our old sinful self that is attracted towards all manner of sinful desires. It's our nature that is or was enslaved to sin and to Satan. Our new nature, on the other hand, is who we are in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have been born again as believers. We have a new nature and we can live for God again. Now, because we, that is a reality for believers, because we have an old nature and a new nature, we have two different kinds of desires within us. We have the desires of the flesh, the old nature on the one hand. We have the desires of the Holy Spirit on the other hand. As we read in Galatians 5 or 17, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the, de- the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these th- two things are opposed to each other. And This is why repentance or conversion is a challenge, it's a challenge for us. These two, the desires of our old self, the desires of the spirit, they, they pull us in opposite directions. There's, as it were, a tug of war happening in our hearts and in our lives, a, a tug of war that happens every day. So every day is, is a battle for Christians, battle against our old self, those old sinful desires that continually plague us. And it can be tiring. It can be discouraging at times as well. See, the dying of the old nature, the coming to life of the new, it's, it's not easy. In fact, true repentance or conversion, it, it's difficult. The old nature is a nature we're born with. We're born with a self-centered nature that is that gravitates towards sin. And true repentance involves a change of our entire person. It means saying No to old sinful ways. It means cutting out sin no matter what the cost. It means dying to a selfish way of life. You see, true repentance or conversion, it's not like a New Year's resolution. It's not just turning over a new leaf. No, true repentance means turning away from sin, turning to God. And it reaches right to the core of our being. Our desires, our thoughts, our motivations, and then also our outward actions, our our words, and what we do every day. And that's difficult. You see, true repentance, true conversion, it might disrupt our current way of living. It might mean changing how we live every day. It may mean temporary hardship as we break with sin in our lives see true conversion it's like a life-saving surgery it's a painful process that sometimes cuts deep of course it's good it's necessary but it's challenging but because of that we might fall into the type of repentance God warned against in Joel 2 he said to his people rend your hearts and not merely your garments. Right? Israel, the, the temptation was to give a type of re- repentance that was merely superficial, superficial. A repentance that did not actually reach into their hearts. And we can easily do that too. We give, may give superficial repentance that does not get to our very hearts. And added to this is that repentance and conversion involves learning to hate what we once loved. Learning to hate what we what we once loved it means giving an emphatic no to something you may find attractive, something desirable, something you want to do, but is sin. You know, take idolatry. And idolatry, the idolatry we often fall into, our, our hearts so often take good things in creation and turn them things, turn them into ultimate things to be pursued at all costs. Something that dominates our affections above the Lord. And we are all susceptible to this. We so easily fall into idolatry. It's a, it's a default mode of our human hearts. Take also something like sexual immorality. Sinful sexual desires and emotions can be strong. They grow easily and can quickly enslave us. Those are just a few examples of the battle we face with our old nature, but we could easily add many desires, many, many actions. Think of envy, hatred, greed anger, slander, pride, and deceit. You see, there's something about these things that feels good to our hearts. Feels good to our fallen heart. See, part of us wants to hang on to those things and not let them go. Or if we do let them go, maybe we, we don't want to see them go forever. If we keep sin at arm's reach so that we can quickly take hold of it again in the future. Hebrews 12 puts it so well when it calls us to put off sin, the sin which clings so closely. Or some translations put it, the sin which so easily entangles. And isn't that our experience? Sin clings to us clings to our fallen hearts, and it so easily tangles around us. It's like an invasive vine that wraps around uh, other plants, choking them out. And if we are honest with ourselves, part of the reason why sin clings so closely is that we want to cling to it. We want to cling to it. A repentance, conversion means taking out the axe and cutting it away, making a firm break with sin. Now another part of what makes this process of conversion so challenging is that our, our new nature, it, it needs to grow. It's not fully developed. You see, our sinful nature is what we're born with, but we need to be born again. To have a new nature. and 1 Peter 1 it tells us how that happens. Uh, Verse 3, which we did not read. It says it happens through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But later on, which we did read, it also happens through the imperishable seed. Which is the word of God. The good news that is preached to us. We see the good news of Christ. That Christ died on the cross to pay for all of our sins. That he rose again to conquer death This is what makes us new, causes us to be born again. Spirit uses that word to to give us new life. But when we are born again, we start off as infants, as babes in Christ. This new nature needs to grow, needs to develop, needs constant nourishment from, from God's word. As we read from 1 Peter 2, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up into salvation. And when it comes to our new nature, we are, we're like children who are growing up. And we certainly don't get everything right all at once. And growing into mature Christians, it, it takes time. And the thing is, as our new nature does come to life more and more, we're, we're also going to look a lot different than, than people in this world who do not know Christ. Right? People who do not know Christ, they only have their sinful nature. And as we live according to the desires of the Spirit, it's, it may in fact invite ridicule from people who do not know God. It's going to invite insults and maybe even attack. And all these things might hold us back from living that new life as God calls us to live. That brings us to our second point. Now, Seeing the challenge of true repentance or conversion, we might want to just forget about this whole process. Maybe it's just too difficult. However, the dying of our old, na- our, our old self and coming to life with a new self in Christ, it's necessary. It's not optional as if we could just take it or leave it. Uh, scripture gives many reasons why this change is necessary for all believers. We could point to uh, what we confessed in Lord's Day 32. Can those be saved who do, do not turn to God from their ingrateful and impenitent walk of life? And the answer was, by no means. Scripture teaches that no unchaste person, idolater, adulterer, thief, greedy person, drunkard, slanderer, robber, or the like shall inherit the kingdom of God. While well, this teaching of Scripture does not mean that we earn our salvation in any way. However, if there is no change in a person's life, he or she is showing a heart that has not been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And so this is this repentance or conversion is necessary for, for us who profess the name of Christ our Lord. And putting to death our old sinful self is necessary because of also the nature of sin. It's the nature of sin to bring destruction, to, to bring death. See, sin is inherently harmful. It always breaks down. See, there's, no simp- there's simply no getting around that truth. You know, to put it bluntly, it's kind of like banging your head against a wall. The nature of banging your head against the wall is that it brings pain. Well, it's the same way when it comes to sin. You know, sometimes we might rationalize sin, think it's no big deal. But sin will always break down life in some way, and it will always destroy joy in the long term. Living according to our sinful f- flesh is a life that leads to death. And it's like this with all sin. Think again of idolatry. You know, to serve idols is to seek your ultimate well-being and join something that cannot deliver. And idolatry often leads to all manner of slavery and, and addiction. And idolatry will only bring disappointment, bitterness, and in the end, death. We could go on with more of God's commandments. Rejecting authority brings anarchy, breakdown of society. Holding on to hatred, envy, and anger leads to fighting and even murder. Adultery and all manner of sexual sin Destroys families and ruins lives. And lying breaks down trust and allows sin to flourish. So we need to see that. We need to see that sinful desires, they are not harmless. And if you embrace sin, you are also going to embrace pain. You will harm your own future and sometimes the effects of sin are lifelong. Now, I do not say these things to discourage you in any way. Maybe you feel the pinch of these words also as you look at the ongoing battle against sin that you have in your own life. We do need to hear it. We need to hear these warnings plainly. Romans 8 verse 13 puts it plainly. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. So we need to hear that. And all throughout scripture, God lovingly calls his people back to him, calls them to repent, turn away from sin. This is what God often did through the prophets. Listen only to God's word through Jeremiah and Jeremiah 25. You have neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear, although the Lord persistently sent you all his servants the prophets, saying, turn now, every one of you, from his evil way and evil deeds." So often Israel did not heed the prophets. They shut their ears to the prophets. They hardened their hearts. And one of those prophets sent by God was the prophet Joel. In in that chapter, in Joel 2, which we read, God says to his people, Return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Right, Humble yourself because of your sin. Also, as we confess in Lord's Day 30. Three, grieve with heartfelt sorrow, we have offended God by our sin. And note the urgency in Joel chapter 2. Israel was to blow the trumpet in Zion to call a solemn assembly. Together they were to grieve their sin before the Lord. And listen to all who were to be gathered for the ceremony of repentance. Uh, the, the prophet says, Consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants, let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. So repentance was for everyone. God wanted everyone there. All were to mourn over their sin. The young children too, they had to, to learn to grieve over their sins. And striking, even the newlyweds had to put their honeymoon on hold because this was more important. See, sin is an offense to our God. It must be repented of. And how could we not? When we see what God has done for us, He paid for all of our sins by the death of His Son, He gave up what was most precious in His sight. So that our sins might be forgiven and and wiped away. How could we then embrace the very sin for which Christ died? Along the same line, repentance is also necessary because of who we are in Christ. This life change is necessary for us because we already have been changed. You who believe in Christ... You too have a new nature. You are a child of God in Christ Jesus. You are a new person in Christ, and that's going to change how we live. A living person' is going to live like someone who's alive. A person with a new nature is going to live as a new person. Of course, it's never perfect. And it will never be perfect in this life. But there's a start. There's growth. And that was one of the purposes of Christ's saving work. That we might be changed. As we read from First Peter 1. You were ransomed from the futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. You were ransomed from that futile life with the precious blood of Christ. This is one reason why Christ poured out his blood on the cross, that we might be redeemed, bought back for him. He might buy us back from that bitter slavery to destructive desires. He would save us from living a futile life of sin, a life that so many in this world are living. So as those who have the blood of Christ by faith, we will necessarily live a new life to God. That brings us to our last point. Now, so far in this sermon, I've talked quite a bit about sin and its destructive effects, why it needs to be repented of. And we certainly need to hear that, but perhaps it also sounds all very negative. However, when we understand what God is doing in all this, we begin to see the, the beauty of conversion, the beauty of repentance. You now, To what can we compare this lifelong conversion, this lifelong change that is going on in uh, the lives of believers? Well, think for a moment of an old, ugly, run-down house sitting on a messy city lot, The windows are broken, the wood is rotting, the foundation is crumbling, the paint is nearly worn away, and the roof is starting to cave in. Not only that, but the the mice and the spiders are starting to take over all throughout the inside. And there's junk and there's weeds covering the entire yard. Is that a house that you would love to live in? I don't think so. Would not like to live there. And that's a picture of our old sinful nature. But the reality is that it's actually worse than that old broken down house. Our old sinful nature is ugly. It simply stinks. There's, it's no way to live. It's not how we were made. It's crying out for change and renewal from God, recreation. Think about that that old rundown house again. Imagine it's for sale. One day a man drives by that house and he buys it. And he doesn't buy it because he thinks the house is so beautiful as it is. He doesn't buy it because he wants to leave it as it is and live in it as it is. No, he buys it because of what he can build in its place. And once the man buys the house and the property on it, he gets to work changing it. He tears down that old house, he removes that old material, he gets rid of the junk in the yard and mows down the weeds. And once everything is torn down, he doesn't leave it as it is. Instead, he starts to build a new house. And he spares no expense. And after all, all, after everything is done, he has his dream home to live in and to enjoy. The landscaping is immaculate, and what was a shabby old house is now a beautiful house to live in. And this is what the process of repentance, the dying of the old nature coming to the life of the new, is like in our lives. Our old selfish, sinful self is, is being t- torn down by the dying of the old nature as we turn from sin. It is put to death as we learn to crucify our old selves with Christ. And in its place, something beautiful comes to life more and more. It's our new nature. Something clean. Something wholesome. Something beautiful. Something for the glory of God and for the good of our neighbor. We need to remember that the ultimate builder of this new nature in us is our God. Right? Repentance, as I mentioned, is challenging. We struggle with sinful desires every day. and Sometimes we feel like we're losing that battle. But we can cry out to our God. He is the one who is at work in us. And he did not buy us, or Christ has bought us with his blood, even when we were like that old, good-for-nothing house. And he did not buy us with his blood because, because we were so lovable, because we were so beautiful. No, he bought us in order to make us perfect, in order to make us new. As First Peter 1 says, Christ ransomed us from the futile ways of living inherited by our forefathers. That futile way of life, it's a life of idolatry and sin. It's a futile way of sin that brings death. Christ ransomed us from that futile life so that we might live for him. And God is indeed building something beautiful in our lives. He's tearing down our old self that's full of jealousy and hatred, anger, lust, and greed. He's building up that new person that's full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Aren't those wonderful things, that, that fruit of the Spirit, aren't those beautiful things that we would love to have in our lives more and more? What a beautiful person that is that's full of the fruit of the Spirit. God is recreating us into his image again. And yes, this process is sometimes painful. As I mentioned this morning, sometimes it takes suffering to tear down our old self and for us to to get rid of old sinful patterns. But the end goal is so good. As we go through this process of dying of the old nature, the coming to life of the new, let's also remember Our status before God as we go through this process, as we battle every day. We face this battle. We go through this process as God's beloved children. In 1 Peter 1, the Holy Spirit, he commands us not to be conformed to the passions of our old nature. Not live according to that old nature to give in to them. But what does he say right before this command? As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your old nature. So in other words, you are children of God, dearly loved. You are heirs of eternal life in Christ. And it's in this light that we do this process. Not only that, but to have a new nature is to already possess something of eternal life. Again, 1 Peter 1 says, We've been born again with imperishable seed. And so that new nature that God has worked in us, it's not here today and gone tomorrow. It does not wither away and die like the flowers of the field or our natural bodies know our new nature it remains and it will remain forever it has been created by God through imperishable seed the imperishable seed of the gospel what does that mean for us as we go through this process as we as we face those battles against sin every day It means that even though we face those battles, victory is assured in Christ by the power of the Spirit. We can rely on Him. It means that eternal life with God is coming. For God will preserve that that work of grace He has started in our lives. The Holy Spirit will carry out this renovation project until it's finished. Indeed, it will not be fully done in this life but it will be completed when our Lord Jesus Christ comes again and this is the motivation we need as well to live for God. It does not make us lax in living a holy life we are God's very own children and we can rejoice we are headed to eternal life with God on the new heavens and the new earth so let me leave you now with the words of 1 John 3, verse 3, everyone who has this hope purifies himself as our God is pure. Amen. Let's now respond to the preaching of God's word by singing together hymn 48. and We will sing together the stanzas 2, 3, and 4.